Howdy, and welcome to another episode of Connect This. We're, we're ditching our normal format. Uh, felt like uh, too many people were starting to appreciate the deep insights of uh, Kim and Doug. So we've told them to take a hike. And <laughs> Travis and I are going to be talking about mapping with, uh, with two folks that have been following closely what's happening. Uh, I'm not in my usual digs. I, uh, I moved camp today. Um, I'm over at Travis's place, actually. And uh, it's pretty cool. And so we're doing a we're doing a live show from Travis's place, and um, let me introduce the guests. Uh, we're going to be having um, two great guests, uh, two people that have been in this business for a very long time. Uh, we've got Brian Mefford, who is the Vetro Fiber uh, Vice President, VP of Broadband. Uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Great to be with you. Thanks for the invitation, Chris. Well, thank you for coming on. Vetro has been uh, a company I've, um, I'm long uh, supportive of. You got some some really fun people. I, I assume you guys must have the best retreats and just team meetings. We we have a good time. It's we've got a company that's full of folks that uh, work hard and play hard and enjoy um, being out. We're based in Portland, Maine, as as you know, and and so I think that that city just sort of has a culture that sort of breeds breeds a cult. It breeds fun. So I'm glad to be based there. Excellent. A absolutely. Um, we also have a very side-lit Lori Adams, uh, formerly Lori uh, Sherwood Forrest, um, <laughs> the, uh, the Senior Director of Broadband Policy at Nokia. Welcome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. And uh, I, I can attest, having grown up in New Hampshire, that Maine is the, it, Portland is the party place. It's the place to be, so... Yes. And then, Lori, you've been around the broadband space for a very long time. In fact, um, you know, you already went through this with the BTOP program. You were deeply involved in uh, what Maryland was doing, right? Yeah, I was uh, co-directed the Maryland project and um, I still have a PTSD from that. But yes, absolutely. Uh, it's, you know, it's funny. You start thinking about the second or the third decade being in this business and you realize how old you really are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I still uh, I still feel young enough not to like Rush, unlike uh, my co-host <laughs> Travis Carter. Thanks for hanging out, Chris. Uh, we're, we're here enjoying one of the four nice days a year we get here in Minnesota, and um, it's a lovely day. Yeah. We had a lunch on a patio outside. Beautiful. This this never happens, by the way. But uh, no, thanks. It's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm interested. This is a topic I don't know a lot about, so I'm excited to to hear what Lori and Brian have to say on the subject. Well, I'm never going to admit I don't know a lot about something, so I'll just pretend that I know a lot. And um, <laughs> if I ask any wrong questions, it's totally for leading purposes. So we're, we, we, this show actually was conceived um, when Lori was talking with us about how uh, many ISPs, she felt, uh, were not ready for what's coming in terms of the mapping requirements, in terms of the repercussions if it's not done correctly and being prepared for it. And I thought, you know what, this would be really great if we um, tapped into uh, Travis's uh, ability to ask the right questions about what ISPs need to know about this as someone who's about to go through it uh, or his team will. So uh, we're going to go through basically what's going on this summer with mapping. And I think a lot more people have focused on the, out the outcome, right? Which is at the end of the day, 
the end of the year, maybe the end of the decade, we're going to have maps that will be accurate with where broadband is. Uh, but we're going to talk today about the input process and how that's going to work. Um, but before we, even all that starts, we have news that likely tomorrow, the uh, the NTIA will drop what's called the NOFO, which is the Notice of Funding Opportunity, which is uh, going to be the expected rules and guidelines around the $42.5 billion uh, bead program that we've been talking about. Um, I am going to be at the Big Ten track tournament, and I'm looking forward to everyone else who's going to read that and, and, and take good notes on it and summarize it so over the weekend I can catch up on that. But um, uh, my life is a track and field for the next three days after this, so I'm not prepared to think about it right now, but Brian is. <laughs> we, we, we are. I am. And, uh, well, it's, it's going to take, uh, you know, days to sort of dig through what, what comes out. But, it, you know, as you, as you know, Christopher, it's been months in the making here, uh, if not years. Uh, so lots of, lots of eagerness to, to get the guidance. And it, and it really, I mean, I, though we're here to talk about, I think, the FCC uh, mapping and broadband data collection uh, effort, yeah, it with, with with that NOFO imminent now coming tomorrow, we'd expect, as you said, it, you know, we, we can imagine those two things are sort of going to be intricately interwoven. So, you know, the requirements that the NTIA says, you know, this is what we expect of states. This is what we expect of communities and Internet service providers. It, it's it's it, it's all going to be conducive and helpful, we, we hope, uh, for the data collection that's happening at the FCC. So while I, I mean, certainly agree that, it, you know, we're, we're going to talk about mostly the inputs today, at the same time, we want to sort of begin with the end in mind as well. Um, there, there's, a, we'll, we'll get into more of this, but, but there are new, there will be new reporting requirements as, as an example uh, of, of ISPs that go well beyond just the initial data submission. So a lot, a lot of folks are focused on, you know, how, how carriers, how ISPs will present their data about served and unserved areas or where they serve. But at the end of the day, after services is um, built out through these grants, there's going to be a lot of work still left to be done. That sort of is the culmination uh, point for, for how this money gets invested. And, and to be specific about it, I think one of the things we might be expecting is a sense of of what map data will be used for different parts of this, right? I mean, because if uh, if a state, and let's pick on Minnesota, because two of us are there, uh, if a state like Minnesota is like, yeah, you know, we're pretty sure that in this county, like, no one has service. Uh, I don't think NTIA is going to say, all right, well, if that's your guess, then that's your guess, right? They're going to say, no, there's some minimum standards that you have to use, uh, even though they're not prescribing that you can only use one data source, they're going to have some minimum standards likely for uh, what is eligible to be used. Yeah, that, that's right. And I mean, what will be standardized, you know, going forward is this this fabric data set. And, and, and I should say, and, and, you know, that's that's to be provided by CostQuest Associates. And it's probably safe for me to say that while Vetro uh, works with with CostQuest quite a bit, you know, I'm going to do the disclaimer, Christopher, Anything I say today is not affiliated with that relationship. It has nothing to do with 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 CostQuest directly, other than you know what we can all find in sort of the public domain. But it's it's a big deal that the FCC is now we're going to have this standard, uh, and, and that's that's an address level uh, data set of of all the locations in the country uh, uh, th that could be served, are served, or could be served by broadband. And if you you, know, you mentioned with with Lori and her her work and leadership. 
in Maryland during the last stimulus and, and the BTOP program, of course, that was that was missing. I mean, there was a different standard basically in in every state for establishing that served unserved um, uh, a map. And, and so now this is a big effort that's underway uh, to, to have that baseline starting point of these are the addresses. We, we can talk, we will talk more about it, but that, that's that's a, a huge, that's sort of a sea change. And, and we can talk more about too, how that connects to those requirements of the state. Um, you know, in, in the infrastructure law, it, it's already laid out that ISPs will, will have to report, now I'll get into detail, but will have to report at an address level when they receive funding, what they plan to build and then what they've built, what speeds and so forth. That, that, will, that will key off of that, that national fabric data set. Mm-hmm. Now, Lori, is there anything that we've missed as we set this up? Um, well, in a, in a second, we'll talk about how we're six weeks away from some of the data trend submissions. But um, what are, is there any other context we should include before we jump into that? Yeah, no, just to just to touch on what Brian mentioned about BTOP, you know, back back then, um, the the grant money was given out for broadband mapping simultaneously with grant money for middle mile projects. So they weren't, um, there wasn't any real data to be used as a basis for those for those grant funding projects. Now there was some data submitted and proof of, of um, need and that sort of thing, but it wasn't so much data-based um, like this time around. And of course the NOFO that comes out tomorrow is gonna be um, setting the program rules and guidelines for the states to develop their programs. And so, this is really just a first step of a multiple step phase for releasing of information that will will help us guide the applicants on on what they can do. And ultimately, though, it's it really comes down to the maps and um, where what those maps dictate the greatest need. Excellent. So let's jump into it then. Um... This is a new process that is not like the old Form 477, where you submit all the census blocks where you could offer service. Um, what, uh, where do we want to start with uh, how the um, ISPs will have to submit their information? So um, I, I would say that first, I want to mention that the um, the FCC has released, there, there's a test fabric that's open one. So any, any data that you um, upload or play around with on the test fabric, it doesn't count towards your final submission, but um, it'll give you an opportunity to check it out and see really how to plan your submission. And it's such a technical, there's such a number of different requirements as part of this that you really need to look at this now and, and start from a backwards time frame of, okay, the end game is September 1, what do we need to do to get there? Brian, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I might um, take take half a step back and um, and I may be reading off of a cheat sheet from a picture of a slide I took at BBC last last week. But it, um, it's sort of table setting with with what are the components of, of this this data collection that there are, there are seven, and I'll, I'll try to do my best to summarize them. But the FCC first must collect data on on availability and quality of um, uh, of, of broadband internet access from both fixed and mobile providers. So that's that's just sort of obvious step number one. Uh, second, to support the collection, the FCC must also establish 
this, the fabric, as, as was mentioned earlier. And so th th this is, these are seven points that were actually pulled directly from the RFP that the commission, the FCC put out uh, in, in support of this, this fabric exercise. Um, and we keep saying the fabric, but it's just worth noting. I mean, this is the fabric is just like the sense of out in the real world. There's a bunch of places where people live and then we're trying to figure out how to put them on a map because um, people have this unfortunate habit of changing where they live, and like building new buildings in places where a different building had been and trying to get a sense of, of OK, there's a farmhouse. Um, you know, like, is that the only place in this farm that you'd be delivering service to? Uh, so that's what the fabric is that we keep referring to. That's well. Yeah, well put and great point. And and Jim Stegman, the CEO and founder of uh, CostQuest Associates, was, was presenting at, at BBC last week. And you know, he had a great slide that, that illustrated exactly what you, you, you just were, were That's saying. That's where I got the idea. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 and where I live in, in rural Kentucky, I mean, you know, I can you know, think of the, the farm next door that has you know, multiple sort of chicken coops. It looks just like the picture that Jim presented. And, and you know, there, there's a science that that figures out and in, in artificial intelligence in, involved in, in figuring out the satellite based on those satellite pictures and address databases and other other factors. Like, again, what you said, what, what's a, what's a chicken? What's a chicken house? And, and what's a what's a house, an actual house? What's a what's a barn? And, and you know, what's a what's an uh, office building? So that, that's that's you're right. That that's that's a key uh, key part of this this whole exercise because again, that's then the foundation to say, what what problem are we trying? What what problem are we solving here? Or what's the extent of you know sort of the underserved and, and unserved nature uh, mm -hmm. of the challenge across the country, um, and and really getting that down to a to a rooftop basis. So the third third part of this is. So based on the, the data avail availability collection, the FCC must create and publish maps that depict the availability of fixed and mobile uh, services. Uh, fourth, again, seven, seven parts here. Fourth, the S FCC must establish a user-friendly challenge process. This, this is another big part of it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a lot easier than it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, user-friendly challenge process is, is, let's call that an oxymoron part, perhaps. But right. um, um, we, we, we've not seen that, those two things combined together, I, I don't think, uh, yet. Um, and, and, and that's for the public, which, again, is important, as well as states, localities, and tribal, tribal uh, entities to challenge. So a process to challenge the information included in both the fabric and in the maps that uh, the, the availability data that, that providers submit. So two, two different aspects of that challenge process. Right. One would be, one would be like, this building doesn't exist. And another one would be this building does exist and it's on the fabric correctly. However, it um, is claimed to have service, but that service really cannot be delivered here currently. You got it. Exactly right. Uh, fifth of seven points, and Lori, sorry, I, I didn't mean to filibuster on the on the answer here, but uh, <laughs> uh, the FCC must verify the uh, the accuracy and reliability of the availability data collected uh, from providers and, and other entities. So the FCC must verify. I mean, again, getting to point six and seven, but this is a lot of stuff. I mean, th this is going to take it's going to take some time, and we can expect you know, hiccups, you know, along the way in each of these. Right. And in, in, in that sixth point, like, that's a statute from Congress, right? 
Um, because with the 477 data, I don't know what the statute says. I'm a better person in this space might. Travis, I've forgotten some things. Um, we had a discussion at lunch in which Travis was just saying that I was the smartest person he'd ever met. And he's met a lot of smart people, but that's not what he said. I'm just kidding. Um, oh, hold on. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly those are the words, just to be clear. That's how I remember it. And you said I have a great memory, so it must have been and, and your wife corrected me and said he, he does not remember the color of his own home. So he remembers government statues from 1937, but can't remember how to get home. So that's but what the, it is. The, the point I wanted to make, though, is that like with the FCC's 477 data, it was sort of like Congress was like, hey, FCC, you should track this stuff and like, you know, make up your own rules on how to do it. Right. And in this case, Congress is like, you're going to do it this way and you're going to do it right. You're going to, you know, you have to verify the accuracy of the data, which is not something the FCC has done in the past. So like this is it's important to note that this is not something the FCC can punt on. Um, in theory, they're supposed to follow the law. You, you got it. You got it. Yeah, and that goes with the this the, the last two points too. I mean, all of these, but the this next one is the FCC must conduct audits and collect crowdsourced data um, from from entities or individuals on an ongoing basis about the deployment and the availability of broadband service. Uh, and the last one is just that the the commission, the FCC, will will provide technical assistance, basically, to small providers, uh, to and and actually to the public. Um, around all these other around these other six points and all the all the complexities. So, so that's the FCC's task. Go ahead, Lori. Yeah, no, I was just going to say to to jump in sort of at the beginning of that. What does it look like for um, that data collection process? Where do you start, and why is it different? And I flashed up the banner. Why is it different from the four seventy seven process? And so, as Brian mentioned, this is location specific data, and um, and so. Instead of submitting broad coverage areas, you have to submit location specific that are matched to individual unique IDs. So every location in the fabric is going to have a unique ID and any data that um, is submitted has to match up against that ID. So whether you're submitting and there's two ways you can submit data. One is through polygons um, and there's some requirements around that. And the second is through a list and you can submit it through a list of um, locations but that list has to be matched to the specific IDs. And anything that is submitted to the map has to be certified by a PE. So if you think about that deadline of September 1 working backwards, you have to get your, your data to a PE, have them review it and certify that it's accurate to the best of their ability before it goes into the portal. Um, otherwise, you, you're subject to a fine of $15,000 so per violation. And I want to note that um, it's a good thing they're doing this in the summer because um, PEs, which is short for physical education teachers, are they're less busy in the summer than they are in the during the school year. Well, um, and I've le since learned that PE is apparently professional engineer, which is someone that actually has a credential that that allows them to say be taken seriously, unlike the host, uh, um, one of the hosts of the show. <laughs> and there's actually two levels of certification. You have to have that um, physical education certification and a um like a, a regular corporate engine officer and and if the pe is also a corporate officer you can just have one certification but otherwise you need two and the failure to submit any of these certifications is also uh subjecting yourself to a fine so it's a really um intense process and lori with the 477 process have, have there been certifications in the past I, I, 
you know, I, you have to sign off on it. I think I'm not entirely sure what the what the it, process is. It's certainly not like this. Right, right. Been, been a well, Travis, bit. I'm I'm curious if you were aware of that. I, I'd sent you a text about this a few days ago, and I think you fell asleep reading it and uh, didn't get back <clears> to me on whether you had plans to okay. do that. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm always the one that's just got to ask the real practical questions here. So every ISP has to provide this data, even if you qualify for these government programs or not. Yes. Is that, is that, is that correct? <clears throat> yes. Okay. Huh. Well, I appreciate the extra work for nothing. So I guess what is the, um, what is the rationale of that? Do we know? Well, it, they're trying to get, gain an accurate um, depiction of every location in the country and what the service is, period. And then the second question is that the 20, the locations that are eligible for future funding will be derived from this. So it's really, it doesn't matter if you're going to be pursuing funding, the map is the basis for determining what's eligible for funding. Yeah, so, All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on Minnesota for a minute. They've been passing money out for as long as I can remember using a map. Are we saying the map has been inaccurate to this point or There's no one that's arguing that the map is, is accurate. Like, okay, okay. Everyone, yeah, everyone agrees that the map has always been inaccurate. <laughs> and is, in, in, do, we have to, do you have to report in speeds or do you report in like technology? Uh, we're going to get to that in a second, I think. Okay. All right, if, I, so, all can, right. if I can just, uh, Brian, I'm curious if Brian or Laurie can fact check me on this. My impression was when we were going through the commenting process is that when I was reading it, and, and the reason I'm asking specifically to fact check me is I could be, may have, may have mistaken this, but I felt like this PE requirement to have a professional engineer um, certify the comments was sort of this issue in which we felt like many of us felt that there should be a penalty for um, continuously submitting inaccurate data. And I felt like that they wanted to have this PE certification as a way to try and make it more difficult for a company that wanted to submit inaccurate data over and over again, because in theory, it would be hard for them to find a PE that would sign off on inaccurate data over and over again. Um, and so I felt like this was sort of an end run around their um, our interest in having them penalize companies that lied time and time again about where they could offer service. And I don't know if those things are connected or not, but that's the way I took it. I, I, I think that's I think that's right. And I, I don't know if it's an end run totally, because, I mean, the, the idea then is that if, if, if there is discrepancy, um, then there there are penalties. So so to your point, you, you have to pay if you if you if you're if you're caught lying about your coverage. Um, let's come back to the penalties issue, but um, uh, that's that's for the. That's sort of, sort of independent then of the PE, but um, uh, did you have a sense that there's other reasons that would merit having a professional engineer have to intervene on this? Because it is a challenge for smaller ISPs, I'm sure. It, oh, it, yeah. 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 And they, they contemplate that. They, you know, that argument, of course, was um, provided a, a, as part of the comments for the rulemaking on this. And they rejected that, that, that it was an overly burdensome requirement um, for uh, providers. But I think you're right, Chris, it goes entirely to that um, point of making sure that everybody's submitting data is as accurate as possible. And that penalty can be applied for inaccurate data, missing data, failure to submit a um, certification. So there's a number of different ways that that could be applied as a, as a, as a uh, you know, as a, as a hammer uh, for compliance with rules. 
And to, to Travis's earlier earlier point, because you, you're spot on, Travis. I mean, it, it's it will be you know somewhat of an onerous requirement, especially you know the, the smaller you are and fewer people you have to you know to to do this kind of work. It, it's it's going to be it may be difficult, but the the the, the sort of paradigm shift with all of this, how the money is 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 being allocated, instead of in the past, pretty much every federal program has been determined the, the, the funding uh, a grant has been determined at the federal level uh, whether there's you know a project that's eligible or uh, you know merits funding now that's shifting where basically all the authority all the decision making will happen at, at the state level and so the states are going to be held to account to make sure they get it right so so Congress you know has has set out some parameters of how this money could be can be spent. So now the state is 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 accountable. So it, it, they've got a they've, all, the process has to sort of be the, create this virtuous data flow, starting with okay, what's our what's our starting point? What what's what what is actually served and unserved uh, in the market, uh, and and then grants will be then then allocated accordingly. accordingly. So if, if if you're a small provider that or a co-op, for instance, that happened like where I live, the co-op has built out you know is building out gigabit service throughout my entire county, um, you know, the state needs to know that, um, that, you know, they hadn't necessarily planned to, you know, have somebody have a staff person prepared to you know, report that on a regular basis, but it's going to behoove them to have the state, you know, knowledgeable that where they're building out. So they don't get, you know, so, so let me ask you why, why does this, why, why would, how does the company that's doing the capital investment in the infrastructure going to benefit from the state knowing where it's at? I'm just, I'll play devil's advocate. Why, why would, because well, all first, I hear yeah. or all, all, all I can think about is, oh, great. I got to give all the addresses I serve to this public domain so that CenturyLink and Comcast can data mine it and poach all my customers. Well, that's what it I sounds think, like to me. And I, and I don't, and I don't qualify for any state or federal programs whatsoever. So my, the thing that's rattling through my head is, okay, how much is the fine? I'll just pay it every year. The, the first thing I would say is that um, the, if you're in a rural area, you will benefit because if you're making that investment, um, you don't want someone else to be getting a bunch of state money to uh, make another investment to come compete with you. So uh, that would uh, be an incentive in that case. Now, if you're in the city of Minneapolis and you don't qualify for any of this anyway, then um, then I think um, you know you may have a stronger case that you have less of an interest of actually uh, following through on this. But I don't know if Lori. Well, I mean, I'm I, I'm a hundred percent on board if we're using state or federal money that there should be accurate maps where we're allocating those. I don't debate that at all. I just debate the fact that um, you know if 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 you're if if you're giving your competition all of your data, that certainly is not going to be good from a marketing standpoint. But so, okay, so Travis, let me just push back on that. Cause like, I just feel like, do okay. you think that there is anywhere, um, any competitor you have that doesn't know exactly where you serve? I'm I'm a bad example. I'm just trying to play, you know, I'm trying to go, if you're not able to benefit from all of these, this money that the feds are printing and passing around, but you have this requirement to report the status of your network and where you're at, which, oh, by the way, you only have to report 25.3, you know, the broadband requirement, right? Or do you yeah. have to report let's, like the technology you have, the speeds? And I, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I'm, well, let's talk is, about that in a second. This is sounding like a whole lot of work with no benefit. 
Well, I think I think you might be right. I'll just say that, like, you know, this is an essential service and we need to know where it is. And so, like, if you want to offer an essential service, it does come with different obligations. than if you were manufacturing iPods, which have no public, you know, <laughs> service uh, benefit, it, dep um, it depends on who you ask. Right. <laughs> um, Lori, do you want to go first and then Brian? Yeah, I was just going to say first, Travis is going to love the challenge process when we get to that part of it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to report all of that data. It's not just 25.3. You have to report what your most, what your top level service is if you're a provider. Mm -hmm. um, and because the basis of that is trying to determine who is under 25.3, who is unserved, who is underserved um, going forward. But a, 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 a provider is required to submit all of that. And ultimately, this is replacing the 477 data. So there's going to be a period of time where a provider will have to report, submit information both to this fabric and to the 477 data. And then the 477 data will phase out, and then it'll just be this fabric twice yearly going forward. Brian, did you want to jump in and then and then uh, if you can very smoothly segue us into this discussion about what will be reported, um, that'd be terrific. That, that, that's where I was headed, actually, um, smooth or not. But I, I'm afraid it's, I'm not going to make Travis feel any any better <laughs> with where I'm going because I mean. So if you if you this is part of, this is coming out of the infrastructure law that um, that was recently passed, and 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 so I'm going to speak to requirements related to the the bead program, the the money that's coming through states. And again, we can expect these data these reporting requirements. To mesh together with with the FCC uh, reporting requirements, and so uh, basically, there's like six pages of reporting requirements uh, in the law. And I'll just bear with me, and I'll, I'll read through what what some of those are. So, on provider reporting, again, this this is uh, this is if you uh, receive funding, um, but but likely going to match up with with the requirements of the FCC to to, to a degree. So providers receiving grants from states shall submit semi-annual annual reports to the state that shall describe each type of project carried out using the grants, a list of addresses or locations that constitute the service locations that will be served, but to identify whether each address is res residential, commercial, or community anchor institution, of course, you know, like a hospital or a school. Uh, you have to describe the types of facilities constructed and installed, describe the peak uh, peak and off-peak actual speeds of service offered. Describe max advertised speed of service offered. Describe the non-promotional prices, including associated fees charged for different tiers, including any other data required to comply with data and mapping collection standards of the FCC. Now, if I was to there's one thing I want to say, which is uh, I have a plug for next week's Community Broadband Bits podcast, uh, which is uh, Angie Cronenberg from Encompass and um, the one from uh, this week, I think, um, or um, maybe it was anyway, a recent one has been uh, with about Kim McKinley and the uh, American Association for Public Broadband. And Travis and I were talking about, like, what do these groups do? Well, um, Encompass would be an organization, Travis, to plug in with if you feel like these reporting requirements are onerous and you would like to join other, you know, smaller ISPs that are competing and feel like there's too much required of your reporting. And Encompass is the one is an organization that then goes out and represents those opinions on the Hill when these kinds of laws are being passed. But just to give you a sense of 
in other folks as well, a sense of how this works. Um, that's one of the things that organizations like that will do. And another is to help them to comply with them generally. Um, so, cause it does sound like a lot and, and, you know, like I can imagine that you're like, look, I'm just trying to build a network here. Uh, but at the same time, Congress is like, we need to figure out where this service is and where it's not so we can make sure everyone has access to it. So um, kind of caught in the middle. Go ahead, Lori. So a good, li a good life hack for that is really about your data, data integrity and um, switching to making sure everything you do is geospatial oriented um, from the very beginning. And, and of course that's, that's uh, difficult for networks that have already been built and are up and running. But going forward, you know, making your life easier by starting with a geospatial design, carrying through to using geospatial construction management tools to capture data in the field, where you can automatically download and upload all of the reporting that you need for all of these different functions will make your life a thousand times easier going forward. So just a quick pitch. For I assume that this is sort of a... I mean, I, I was in this is sort of thing that's like, it's going to be a real hassle this summer, and then it's going to be like a press of a button in future submissions. Yeah, I think so. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all about data integrity. I mean, that's really at the heart of what this fabric is all about, is uh, which is the, the main criticism for the 477, is that the data wasn't um, verifiable or reliable. Yeah. And and it's a it's a moment too, right? Uh, and and I'll, I'm trying to choose words so this doesn't sound like a commercial, but uh, agree. Let me just say, as with from coming from Metro, I agree with everything Lori just said, but 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 truly just stepping back and, and thinking about the arc of sort of broadband time over the last 20 years, the, 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 this term, you know, the generational opportunity gets it keeps being banted about it related to the money being spent. It's also a generational opportunity for us to basically uh, you know, upgrade the, our systems for how we track broadband expenditures and how we plan broadband investments. Chris, you were making that point just a second ago that th there is technology that's available now. We, we, we provided it at Vetro where it's, it's, it's not that expensive to, to bring in at the earliest stage of your network. It's not even that troublesome. Uh, difficult, even if you're a late stage, you know, a, a tier one provider to, to bring in your, your 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 network data to then be able to do that, you know, basically have an easy button uh, that you can push and, and report out on these things. Uh, but that that's the we, we've been just advocating that with with the various federal agencies that don't let's not miss that opportunity to not just create these requirements for reporting, but also, you know, provide guidance and and, and lead by example in terms of the technology that you're adopting as agencies to track all of this and set that expectation with with providers of, of all size now travis i'm curious I mean, you mostly you've voiced i think um philosophical objections to why you should hmm. be you know helping why isp should help their competitors to know where they're offering service uh you know I, I, i'm sympathetic to that i I'm, I'm curious so if we just ignore that for a second and um do you have any more like practical where you're just sort of like oh this is going to be so hard for us or are you looking at this and saying yeah we've been all gis for five years we're pretty good on that oh no no i mean this is a trivial exercise for us and i think people that are running to brian's point proper tools it's really not that big a deal i'm just more worried about Honestly, I'm more worried about the big guys reporting correctly and not making up a bunch of, because uh, I'm assuming this will tie into all the 
find my broadband, you know, websites out there and whatnot. And are they, are they really going to be accurate? You know, or, or, or are they going to say the same old, I can do 500 megabit through my cable provider. Yeah. That's on a Sunday night at 4 AM when everyone's asleep kind of thing, but that's what they'll report. And it's, it's really not accurate. So I, I'm not, I, I get it for like rural and, and other areas where they're trying to spend money, but for the 85% of America that live in what major metropolitan areas that have cable plants, they all meet the 25-3. So I'm really not sure, you know, what, I mean, I, what, what the point of it is, quite frankly. Unless they change the 25-3 to gigabit symmetrical, then it becomes a real issue. Yeah. Travis, to your, to your point on the uh, making sure that what the carrier submit is accurate, the, there's a verification process that's going to happen initially. So once the data is submitted, the FCC is going to verify that data through a series of um, options, including auditing. Um, they could require a carrier to, I have some of the things over here, for example, if it's a mobile provider submitting data, they could be then uh, as part of the verification process to submit the lat long of cell sites, the site ID for the cell site, the ground elevation, the frequency band and channel bandwidth, radio technologies, the capacity, number of sectors. So there's a whole long list of things that could be required of the provider through this verification process in order for the FCC to verify what's been submitted. And that's before you even start the challenge process, which is open to everybody, state, local governments with who have been mapping data, um, and then customers, competing ISPs, competing ISPs, customers, kind of a free for all of some sort of. <laughs> well, and that, that's oh, that, that'll 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 be a joy. Who's going to sort all that out? <laughs> right, right. I mean, that verification. So you've got multiple stages or phases of uh, levels of, of, of audit and verification. So the FCC is expected required uh, to to audit and verify the data. And as Chris was saying, that you know that there hasn't been a lot of teeth in in that uh, requirement of them in the past. Um, but but then this this idea that states will have funding to uh, to to create sort of crowdsourcing type verifications that they'll have funding to do their own uh, fund their own boots on the street in in, in uh, validation in in Maine, for instance, um, they've been able to. You know, they they have providers submitted data they, that they've had for you know a handful of years, but then in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, with work that we're doing there, we're able to pull in all the community uh, generated sort of uh, feasibility studies and and market uh, analysis uh, type uh, reports, and that that provides a second check on that provider submitted data. So now now each state is going to have sort of the means to go out and do that kind of that kind of analysis. Let me real quick too come back to a, a point you made, Travis, that, that it's it's important I think we we clarify this, that there is a change in, in the old 25-3 requirements uh, that that matters. And so uh, you know the the funding is is preferential for those areas that are considered unserved, but which by definition are those areas that only have up to 25-3 service. But then there's there's clear preference uh, that uh, then the, then the money be invested in what's under underserved areas, which are defined as I understand it at the 100 by 20 threshold, um, and 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 that's just that's with the bead money that's that's still yet to come. 
if you go back and look at the $10 billion that's, that hasn't been spent yet, I don't know that any of it's been actually spent. That was part of the ARPA uh, uh, funding that was allocated to the capital, uh, capital, what is it, capital fund program? Capital Projects Fund, yeah. Capital Projects Fund. That, that's wide open, and that states a clear preference for, uh, for, for fiber uh, build out. So again, all you know, sort of new incentives to, to have a better handle, an accurate handle on where we're starting from so we can get, get fiber basically built out everywhere. Yeah, so um, basically people uh, or ISPs will have to report their um, their speeds and their technologies um, in all manner of different places. And as Laurie had said, you could do a polygon, which is just like if you have like a big map, like Google Maps, and you just draw like a shape on it. Uh, for instance, I would recommend not just drawing a shape if you want a PE not to laugh at you, but, um, but that's generally the sense of it. Um, uh, or or the all these places will have IDs, um, not down to the actual chicken. I wonder if we did have like addressing on a chicken basis. We'd have if IPv6. Um, I'm sure that could handle it. But you know, the uh, FCC might reject that because they're only interested in homes and residences. And right. There's, so they're they're very specific. If you over uh, share information, that that could be rejected as well. So it's. Oh, good news. Good to know. <laughs> so, so do, do we but, really think, Chris, that the state of Minnesota is going to police what ISPs report? I think what's going to happen is a lot of ISPs are going to report this information. And then, you know, in some places, no one's going to check. Uh, but in other yeah. places, you may have a county where they're really frustrated with their speeds and they're going to go through and they're going to say, no, these areas are not considered eligible because this ISP claims to serve it. But we have a lot of evidence that that ISP does not serve it at this level. Or, you know, I don't know exactly what the rules are around reliability, but to say, yeah, they like some days they deliver that speed, but most of the time they don't. And they're having these, all these problems. And so but, they will but have they, but they, a mechanism but they could have done this. They could have done this for the last 10 years. Is there anybody yeah, in the country they're, they're that's, kind of doing it. I mean, that's I mean, getting is, data? Um, I mean, we. so this is why now as we see state programs developing uh, for the past four years, I want to say, I think New Hampshire was one of the first and maybe it's just three years. Uh, they've been allowing, they've been creating grant programs where they allow local governments to um produce their own data or, or, or um, anyone that's sub submitting for an application, that they can share data that they've developed, which may contradict the federal maps or the state maps. And um, I would expect that this is going to provide more evidence and make it easier in some ways. Um, but I think we, we still have a, a bit to cover here because um, like I think Lori, Lori or Brian was saying, but I think we all realize is that this challenge process could be a, an even bigger headache for ISPs to navigate under some, some circumstances. Yeah, just to, just to start that. So for the timeline for the challenge process, what the what the FCC is envisioning is that the moment the maps are public and the challenge process starts, a um, provider will be automatically notified that someone has challenged a location. So if you think about that, think about how many potential hundreds and thousands of challenges notifications a provider could get um, if if you're it's it's the basis of a single location. Then um, the provider has 60 days to reply. And um, if they accept the challenge, then they have to they have 30 days to fix it in the fabric. If they reject the challenge, then they have 60 days to resolve it with the challenger. So I, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, that's weird, right? I mean, you're engaging with a, an individual 
resident or customer or someone else who's challenging a location to resolve it. And then you have to provide that resolution to the FCC. So it's just a strange process. Well, this for Travis, we know that this involves either a Starbucks card or some other coffee shop card <laughs> or a visit to meet at a Starbucks or other coffee shop in order to have a conversation about it. <laughs> either way, right. it seems well, like it resolves know, 98% I, of your problems, Travis. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm super interested, Laurie. So, so let, let's just role play for a second. So I got 100 by 20 for my local cable provider, right? And I run a speed test and I get, I don't know, less than that. So I go on the FCC website and I hit challenge. And then the provider comes back and says, nope, you have the 100 by 20. So I hit challenge again. And then I'm not really sure what happens, you know, because I, I, I can just imagine now I've got to hire two or three people to deal with challenges because we're going to say gigabit symmetrical. But their router is so old that it only does like 450 megabit symmetrical. So there's gigabit coming into the house, but their network doesn't support it. So now... I'm guilty till proven innocent. And now I got the feds involved in this never ending circle going on. The customer won't believe me. You know, so I guess where, how does this actually play out in reality? I wonder. That's that's a great question. I mean, there and there's um, more information that the challenger has to submit. So it's not just as simple as pushing a button to challenge. You actually have to um, go through, you have to submit a form and, and even a certification uh, that may be required in some cases. But you know, for, the, for the speed test data, um, as you pointed out, right, there's a difference between what a customer is potentially accessing at their home versus the, the maximum speeds they're purchasing in their package versus what is capable on the network. And so I have no idea how this is going to play out in real time. I'd love to hear from Brian what he thinks is going to happen here. Yeah, and, and well, backing up to uh, Travis's uh, previous point, like why why has Minnesota not done this or any, any state, pick your favorite state, haven't? There, there really hasn't been a, a, a viable reason for them to do it. There's, there's no sort of repercussion uh, at, at, at the end of the path. So, so now with that challenge process, it does have to resolve because that data will contribute to intelligence that informs where, where grants are, are made. And so there's the potential if, if, if data are wrong or overstated that, uh, you know, money could be pulled back uh, from from a from a pro provider that was granted money to, to build out. Um, in terms of what this looks like, I don't know. Is Chris? We haven't practiced this, or can I share a screen and, and show you what it looks like? Uh, I it, believe so. Yeah, not, you can certainly give it a shot, and we'll make fun of you if it doesn't work. Um, fantastic. While you're while you're digging out that screen, um, and if Henry um, can pop on, if we need any help, I'm sure he'll be able to do that. Um, Henry's running this behind the scenes. Um, I'll just note that this may also provide an incentive for ISPs to be making sure that they have the ability to um, query that home device and do speed tests or a series of them to say, look, like here's a speed test for like every hour of the day. We, you know, and uh, data that shows that we are delivering to their premise, you know, these speeds on a regular basis and um, being able to do that kind of reporting might be really helpful. Yeah, so I'm super fascinated the cable networks didn't lobby against this because they're they're the ones at biggest risk here. I mean, for me, quite frankly, I can you know I can report in all the addresses. It's all gigabit symmetrical. It's kind of done, right? But if if you're a large DOCSIS network in a major metropolitan area, man, you're going to be fighting these issues all day, every day. 
Well, I think that's, I mean, the, the bigger problem is, is um, I think that's a small headache. I think the biggest headache is the DSL in the rural areas. Oh, yeah. Um, I think, yeah. and then, the, and then the, the, the wireless propagation. Like, I just, I wish there was an easy way to just sort of, you know, wave our hands and say, oh, it'd be really easy to do it this way. And <laughs> I don't know that there is. Well, and, and if the fine's like 15 grand, then, you know, and you're not, and you're not eligible for any public money anyways, just pay the fine and move on with life. <laughs> Well, the fine is per violation, so it it it's uh, it may be more than fifteen grand, depending on. But what what, the, what would what would a violation be? I wonder. Just lack of for every location in which you misidentify potentially. But I mean, we've again, we made, we made yeah. a case that the FCC should have like a generous. Um, period in which it's basically a safe harbor for people are figuring this out. But if someone makes the same errors over and over and over again, there should be escalating penalties because I don't think, okay. um, you know, I don't think Comcast should be able to just be like, well, eh, cost of doing business. Um, Brian, is it, is the sharing not working? It, it is not, but I, I, I can, I, I could talk you through just, just an example. Like we, we've rolled out something that, that, can facilitate a, a challenge process in, in a couple different ways. And we did that in, in my home county uh, of Warren County, Kentucky. And, and the, so you've got sort of that, 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 that dual uh, challenge opportunity, the, the public facing and, and sort of crowdsourcing opportunity in, in Warren County looks like, you know, a, a county level map and it shows, you know, different footprints of the different providers there, you know, you know, five different providers that cover partial, you know, parts of the, the county. And then on the, the, so you see the map, you can plug in your address. It drops your pin, it drops a pin on the map. It tells you who provides what service at what speed and what cost at that address. And then in, in a left-handed window, um, there's, uh, th there's a, basically a survey form that in effect says, you know, it, is this, is this accurate? Um, you know, are you having a different experience? And then also it's from, from a marketing standpoint, upside for providers, would you like a different, you know, are you looking for a higher level, better quality of service? That then, then that information is, is gathered and dropped back into the county's sort of uh, platform of, of record and it drops in as a point on the map and then, you know, can be downloaded as spreadsheets, et cetera. So that's sort of the, pro, the you know, pro service level challenge kind of process. And you can imagine that at a state level, regional level, whatever. And, and then, so the other thing, the address level check or, or challenge process, we, we showed Warren County what the current FCC map looks like by just saying, okay, here's, the, here's what 25.3 is reported through, F, through 477. And, and, you know, those are the eligible areas, quote unquote, as unserved. And, you know, there, it's the fringe. It's some of the blocks on the fringe of the county. And of course, you know, the first thing people say is, well, that's wildly inaccurate. Well, of course, well, we know. But then we drop in the cost quest data, the fabric data, and the map just, just, you know, blows up. It lights up with underserved and unserved households based on the new definitions and the rooftop locations. And then the, you know, the lights, you know, the just light switch it just comes on and everybody says, we've been trying to tell that story for a decade. And we've been trying to get federal funding, but you know, it's, we can only go apply for these pockets that don't make any business sense whatsoever. And so, but, but then, you know, that can be challenged. That rooftop data can then be challenged. It's all visual for anybody to, to you know, look at and, and have an opinion on. And that's why it's gonna take a long time. 
yeah. work out, work this out. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great point too, because um, people ask me, well, where where is the money most likely gonna go for bead? You know, the bulk of it. I said, the map is gonna be a game changer because it's gonna really challenge what you've thought of as where the needs are. It's gonna show all kinds of suburban and even urban areas that are under 25.3. It's gonna be, it's gonna be very different than what you're expecting on, on what Brian was just talking about with the areas on the fringe. I mean, that's sort of what everyone's thinking, but the map that I have, a, this map is going to show very different things. But the, um, I think a key thing to keep in mind is that it will still not have reliability or pricing data, which would also be important factors to be um, considered. And I don't know, Brian, if you have any thoughts on um, how reliability may play into this regarding a challenge process. I'm, I'm like everybody eager, eagerly waiting out to see how that's going to be uh, constructed. But then Again, imagining that this is all going to attach back or, or mesh with the requirements coming out in the NTIA NOFO, uh, there are you know there are speed requirements, uh, speed reporting requirements, and and there and there's even pricing um, and and sort of promotional pricing reporting requirements. Um, so we'll we'll see how that impacts you know what what's what's coming in, into the FCC as well. Uh, Travis, any uh, any additional questions? No, I, I've got thousands, but I'll, I'll ask you offline because you know thing that thing that. So let's just take your local cable company. They can support gigabit fiber throughout their whole footprint. But let's say it costs. Taxes? No, 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 fiber. So let's just, but let's just say that it, it, for Lori to hook up her house, it's fifteen thousand dollars. She would have to pay. They still have it in the area. She has just chose not to do it because of the cost. No. Is no, that, this is, is that not so in order to submit an area as <clears throat> being uh, served, you have to hit a specific threshold that either Lori or Brian will describe. OK. I'm looking yeah, at you, Lori. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah. So um, latency is a factor that you have to submit information on, um, Chris, so to get to that liability issue. But um, on uh, Service. <laughs> so, like, so you say, um, like, so for like, um, our latency is like, you know, it's in the it's in the thirties, like, you know, three days a week, but for four days a week, it doesn't work, so it's infinity. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say that question about the serviceable location. So that that would be a location that is not yet serviceable if it's if it co it causes a barrier to getting it connected. So that that would be a factor that would be in consideration. I'm not entirely sure how it would play out, but uh, I know that. When you're submitting, there's um, something that has to do with whether a location is serviceable within 10 days, and then whether or not um, it cost would be a barrier to hooking up that person. So. Yeah. So I mean, like, what what I think is intended in that in that language of the 10 days is basically that, like, if you have to throw a drop cable up and, and to get them on the network, then that is more or less reasonable. Right. If you have to construct and do pole permitting on on half a mile, that is not considered to be a serviceable location. Right. That's not like reasonable. Okay. Okay. So that's a lot of it's time based, huh? Okay. Yeah, they use this sort of ten days as a threshold. Yeah. You know, which I actually think is kind of interesting. Like, I don't, I don't really know how that works because even like municipal networks that are doing well, you know, they might be a year in and they have a small staff and they have a waiting list and people have to wait four months to, to get hooked up. And so, like, um, that four months is really long. I'm thinking more like four weeks would be more reasonable, more common. Um, and so, you know, you sort of wonder if like if you want to be pedantic about it, if they, are they not citywide? You know, because like they have a waiting list. Of 
people as they're building out. Like, well, um, I mean, like like us, we've got currently twelve hundred people waiting that will not be part of the ten days. I'm one right. of them, but it's uh, because I keep delaying the well, inside well, wiring. But you know, um, yeah. So the the ten days would be <laughs> what during the summer when you can do construction. I'm assuming you know that uh, that would be. Well, that's a good question. I mean, you have a sense lawyer, Brian. Is that like is that a reasonable interpretation? There's not a lot of context given around that that 10 day requirement. So I think yeah, it's a it's an interesting, interesting question. Yeah, I mean, we have road restrictions here in Minnesota where we can't drive heavy equipment on the roads until spring, you know, and so we the fiber is out in front of the home, but we can't get it to the home, let's say for three, four weeks. Are we going to get fined if we if, if that address is, is marked as gigabit serviceable? And it goes through the whole challenge process. It remains to be seen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I think maybe you know someone should share this episode with uh, some of the, the folks at the FCC, like because I mean this is the problem, right? Like you both want to make sure that we're not we're, you're not gaming it with like providers that are lying and overstating their coverage, but like a connection within ten days, depending on the time of year in any state, you know that's above the the old Mason Dixon line is going to have some challenges. <laughs> yeah, and the the overall timing of this, I mean, we, something we haven't really talked about yet, but for the entire thing, everyone's focused on when the maps will be published. Well, how long are these processes going to play out? The The data verification process allotment is 60 days um, when a request is made for verification. Then you have all of the challenge data, which is 60 days to, for a challenger, uh, for a response to a challenger, then 30 days, then 60 days. So, you know, you're adding months onto this time frame for publishing the final maps. Yeah, I mean, we've got, um, you know, the, the, the clock is, is ticking to a degree, but, uh, you know, clearly just, I mean, on, on this conversation alone, from this conversation alone, issues are going to be hammered out. And uh, yeah, I think it's inevitable that, that the clock is, is going to continue to, to move out and not, not reset necessarily. But there's just a lot of complexity to be worked out and get into the most accurate possible of, of maps. And who who actually hammers this out? Is that the FCC or is that other groups? Who who's actually? I'm just curious if they have any like practical, like in the field kind of knowledge about how these networks are built, run, managed, and maintained. I'm just I'm just curious who's ultimately responsible for making the rules. It's the FCC. The Federal okay. Communications Commission, yeah, which has, I mean, it's supposed to have this expertise. I think um, uh, they're often hearing, again, from organizations like Encompass, uh, for those who uh, just tuned in, next week's uh, Community <clears throat> Broadband Bits podcast with uh, uh, Angie Cronenberg from Encompass. Um, but um, uh, that's where, you know, we, we need the FCC to be listening more. And it, I feel like my criticism for years of the FCC has been that it's an organization that is too focused on the largest cable and broadband providers, um, cable and telephone companies. Um, now it's, it's sort of a, I feel like a recurring problem that um, it, the agency makes its rules based on those large companies often, and those large companies are serving the vast majority of Americans, um, in part because we have a system that doesn't really make it easy for other providers to to get in the game and compete. Um, but um, 
but yeah, it's a real challenge to craft these rules in ways that work for the honest folks. Um, I'll just say I have a, in my mind, I, I was shaped a bit by working for Oregon OSHA for a summer in my grad school program and getting a sense and my sense of how a lot of the, 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 the occupational safety and health administration rules came about is that they were like, you know what, like you should be safe on the job. And then, you know, some like 98% of businesses were safe on the job. And then like, let's just take like a roofing company. And like, there's a couple of businesses that just like consistently weren't safe. So I said, all right, well, you got to have ladders to deal with this height. And so then like almost everyone was like, yeah, cool, we'll do that. But they had to keep coming up with more and more strict rules because some company was using ladders in an unsafe manner. And it's always like a few rotten apples that keep like, it's so like finally you get to a point where like, all right, for this, this height, you have to use this type of a ladder and it has to be moved at this angle and it has to have this stabilization and you have to have a crew of four guys who are like monitoring it and, because there's like three companies that kept getting people injured by not following practical safety advice. But like, this is the challenge of figuring out how to monitor an entire industry. Great, great analogy. And, and we've, we've spent, you know, years, you know, as a country, you know, sort of running up, running into a brick wall, you know, we've, we've thrown money at it and we've proven that, you know, having inaccurate data at, at the start is a poor way to solve a challenge. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you're right that, that it's been shaped by, you know, some, some, some behavior. Um, but, but now given the, the, the scope and scale of, of what we're about to do, it's even, you know, it's even more important than ever. It is more important than ever that we've got accurate data. And so for, for uh, providers, I would just encourage everybody to take a look at this now and start uh, looking at it, figuring out how you're going to submit the data and get that certification and get everything in because there's a short amount of time to do that. Right. And so what you were saying before is for ISPs who aren't familiar with this and, you know, Travis, I'm guessing your GIS folks probably are familiar with this and might be playing around in that sandbox. But but if they're not, you know, like now is the time to get in that sandbox, figure yeah. out. Is this <clears throat> when, is, when is all this due? Because we're, we're busy building right now. We don't have time to, you know, to play government mapping games. You know, one thing I will say that's very one thing that's really cool, those that have ever dealt with addresses, if this fabric actually has a universal way to map properties in a county or a state, that will be invaluable. I will I will definitely say that. Um, and then applying the data to those properties. I, I'm, I'm just dumbfounded that the cable companies have not lobbied this away. I'm just really surprised. I mean, they're, well, they're going to be the ones to get caught out on this. I mean, I mean for us, it's no big deal, but for the... The cable companies—they're going to get caught with their pants down on this. Well, the, a lot of a lot of companies certainly lobbied hard, you know, for the last uh, two years. I think to to keep this either from happening or, or to make drastic changes to it. So mm -hmm. yeah, it, it it has been a feat that it's it's survived in its in its form. And as Lori said from the beginning, uh, every every uh, provider that's going to submit data has access. You can now go. Your team can go get that CostQuest fabric data. So you you do have access. To what is you know has been deemed by the FCC the most reliable address uh, database in, in the country. Mm -hmm. Well, that that actually is really good. I would tell any marketing department out there get ready to harvest the FCC data. This this is going to be this is going to be an easy way to poach customers. We should have started there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to be curious about the challenge process. That's going to be an interesting one to learn. I mean, that's I mean. Nobody, nobody likes their ISP. Everyone's going to hit challenge if they can. So. Well, what I'm curious about is I felt like 
one of the things that I saw when we were going through this in the in the rulemaking comment period is I felt like what we expected to see is that the FCC would not really take comments that seriously from a random person. Um, but that if a local government uh, or another kind of anointed, um, you know, sort of credible entity that had some kind of standing submitted, that those would be taken more seriously, um, specifically because they don't want, you know, some some dumb teenagers to be um, just out there like sort of challenging stuff because like they're bored on a Friday night or something. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a teenager. I'm assuming that's what they do. Website. I mean, you got to understand. If somebody misses two ping now, they're complaining. So no, there. If there's a forum out there and it gets out in the wild that you can, oh, people. Also, it's kind of like the better. It's it's like the Better Business Bureau complaints. You know, you just right. But if the question is, well, but is the FCC going to treat all complaints equally or not? Because I I I thought in my comments, I think for the time reflected that to me it would make sense if the complaints were treated as like not individually like um, actionable but rather that they would keep an eye out and see if there was specifically uh if there were anomalies for certain isps yeah. you have a sense that they're going to treat all complaints equally or not well it the the system is going to automatically kick out a notification yeah. to the provider once a challenge is submitted so the fcc won't be in the middle of that process um, it, 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 so there, there's that sort of gating um um effect but there there's also chris to your point i, I think you're you're right and i think we'll see this in the, in the nofo guidance tomorrow there's going to be this expectation that the state is going to be sort of an aggregator and are not an arbiter necessarily but certainly an aggregator of, of some of this data and we're, we're seeing this uh in in some recent state sort of rfps for for mapping support and, and so you could imagine they're getting into it the in, uh intimation from the NTIA to, to get ready for this. And what I mean specifically is, um, you know, they're, they're, they're building uh, capacity for cha the challenge process. And I think we'll see that there, there's also going to be requirements or expectations that they're, they're linked in very tightly with local governments. And so the local governments are going to be expected to sort of, sort of facilitate a, a challenge process. You know, look at your county. Here's your county map, kind of going back to the Warren County example earlier, you know, and, and kind of having the challenge process happen on an aggregated local level that then feeds up to the state level. That sounds a little bureaucratic. It sounds a lot bureaucratic, but 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 given the technology and, and, and just the the ability to move data uh, from from one level to, to the next and just sort of verify and check that data, I, I think it, it has the potential to be a, a, a good process. And what one complexity is that, you know, the states are being asked to do a lot right now. They're being asked to come up with a plan for the capital projects fund in order to get that money distributed to them. They have to come up with a plan that Treasury approves. They have to come up with, um, you know, submit a letter of intent back for, for NTIA for BEAD. Then they have to come up with an initial and a final proposal for BEAD. Then they have to manage the mapping processes. So, uh, you know, you have to look at the aggregate amount of information that the states are going to have to manage and um, actively complete in order to get all of these funding programs and get approvals. And so it, that's a lot to do simultaneously. It's a lot to do, especially when you don't have a state broadband office. I mean, there are several states that have not yet, you know, gotten their office spun up and are waiting for, you know, part of this process to unfold so that they can get, you know, funding to do, to do it.
This is your shot, Travis. You always wanted to learn more about government. You should go run a state broadband. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm amazed. You know, Crystal, you're always talking about lower cost internet. We just added five bucks per subscriber per month, just just to deal with all this. You know, th- this 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 is this is another expense in ISP. And actually, there's a good comment earlier, who who said that John George. You know, you're making it more difficult for people to get into the game now. You know, because this is this is going to be a project for people. This is going to be a this is going to be a process because that 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 whole challenge issue I think is going to become a real issue for folks. Yeah, let me just say I'll push back on that a little bit to say there's there's the onerous nature of, of a new requirement, but there's also money to offset that. So you 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 can you know as a new provider, I can go win a grant to serve an area that never had a chance to get service in the past. And I can, I can sort of price that, that reporting requirement in, into my, into my business model uh, on, on the front end. Yeah. But, but again, for the, for the 85% of Americans that don't qualify for any of this money and, and get better service in their neighborhoods, you know, the irony in Minnesota, this, this blows my mind. There's multi-million dollar cabins up in Northern Minnesota that are getting this government money but we get no help trying to bring Minneapolis or connectivity to the uh, low, low income neighborhoods. So all, all this money that's flowing around, if you want to compete against any of the big incumbents, there's no chance. There's absolutely no chance. There's no money there for you. There's more now, more requirement there. And you have to tell your competitors where you're building so they can launch aggressive marketing campaigns against you and run you right out of business. I just, I just don't see how this is really that different. Like, I just, I mean, it's the same thing we hear with like regarding cost data, Travis. And I don't know any big incumbent that doesn't know where you are. You, you, like, you saw, you saw it happen. You saw it happened up in where Cambridge, right? Or what was that? You know, up in North, Monticello. Right. No, that's you my know, point. The, like, like that's the, yeah. the, whether or not the government has this data. Like, I actually prefer that the government has this data and makes it public because the incumbents already I, already have this data. The incumbents know where you're going more than anyone else except for you does. Like, like I would say that. But like, you know, the irony is. Staff, but the irony is, I don't know where the incumbents are. I have no idea where CenturyLink fiber well, now is. Now you will. I, well, I'm I'm going to know now. No, but but so I'm not just this necessarily is a good saying, thing. This Government isn't this, awesome. Man. No, this isn't this isn't that big a deal for me. I'm just I'm so surprised that the big incumbents are 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 not fighting this tooth and nail because they're going to expose their their database that they've held, you know, near and dear for the last 27 years. I'm I'm just I can't believe it. Well, they did a good job of delaying this until 2022. So I mean, it should have been 10 years ago. <laughs> Brian, you got to fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, the the other point uh, that, that that Travis made well was, you know, that this you you haven't had access to this fund these funds in the past if, if you're you know if you're built out in the inner city, for instance. But we mentioned that ten billion dollars that's available to states today to to be making uh, grants from uh, affordability is 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 a qualifier uh, for for that pot of funds. So if if there's one in large incumbent that's that's unaffordable, you can come in as a you know second provider and no, 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 no it'll, it'll Travis, all go to it's Travis, all going to go to the incumbent. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll see, Travis. I think you might be right, but to Brent Brian's yeah. point, it's for me one one hundred percent. It's it's already happening here. Well, states it have all goes the it, it all goes to Comcast. States could 
do it the way Brian is saying, and that's no. the point. I just want to make that. Point. I, I would I would love if Brian was right, but no, no, Brian is state, right, but the states probably will choose no. not to do it. Which is no, not what sta- Brian states are like water. Water, they'll they'll follow the path of least resistance, and the path of least resistance is the incumbents that are already built. And, and that's what makes that, the river. I, we, 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 yes, <laughs> I mean we we we've seen this here in Minnesota with every single community. All of this federal dollars, ninety nine percent of it will go to the incumbents that are already there. There, there will yeah. not go to newer technology or any sort of overbuilding whatsoever. Yeah. Good, Brian. Sadly. And just, you know, it yet to be seen, right? And and I, <laughs> it's it's a role, role reversal for me to, to mm-hmm. be in a, a presentation like this and be a federal government apologist. But but it, <laughs> we, we, we reset the, 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 the deal here, the game, right? And so in the past, yes, the federal government from – uh, a federal from a national agency level has uh, has picked the winners and losers. At least at this point, it, it's pushed out to the states, and each state is going to have the ability to to make their determination of, of what their strategy, what their policy is going to be. And absolutely, some are going to bend towards incumbents. But I can I can assure you that we're working with with states right now that are taking the opposite approach, and and they're 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 mm. big states, and and, and they're going to have a big impact. There, and, and I would imagine will be sort of a leading indicator, not a lead, that's not the right word, but they're, they're going to sort of be a, a, the bellwether for other states to say, hey, they're a tech, they're known as a technology leader. We should be we should be resembling more what they're doing than what we've done in the past. So we'll see. I mean, I, we, none of us know how this is going to play out exactly, but there's more flexibility uh, to award non-incumbent behavior and and. and businesses than there's ever been in the past. Absolutely. And we don't know. Breaking news. The world's not ending. We got some good news on the way. So thanks, Brian, for that. Go ahead, Lori. No, I was going to I agree with Brian. And I think, you know, if you look at a lot of these state programs, um, grant programs over the last few years, and they've gone out to a variety of entities. And um, we'll know more in the NOFO tomorrow, whether a partnership with a municipality is required like what we saw with those broadband infrastructure grants from last summer where they had covered partnerships that was a requirement or whether partnerships are just recommended which would um give a big play to municipal municipalities to find an isp to partner with but i don't think that it's i don't think it's a given that this is going to go to the big incumbents i think it's going to be a broad um, variety of um providers and 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 partnership models We, we we know that several states uh, have awarded the lion's share of the funding so far that's come out of ARPA, and this is you know it's billions of dollars at this point to uh, their their rural co-ops. So that's that's been a that's been a sea change. In, in right, some, but it, it, yeah. it kind of it kind of reinforces. I mean, it, it is right in the rural area. But I, um, Travis's point is that um, there's almost never money spent in the cities, and when it is, it almost no. always goes to the incumbents. Um, but hey, I, no, no, I'm not disagreeing with you in rural areas. I'm talking about where. I'm talking about where all, all the Americans live. You know, the vast majority of Americans are not going to benefit from any of this at all. And that's that I think it's pretty sad. Well, I'll just say uh, what I normally say, which is that um, when uh, we make sure that everyone has high quality Internet access, uh, we all benefit. Uh, the economy will grow faster. We will see yep. other benefits. But I will also agree with you, Travis, that we sure could spend this money in ways that would create far more benefits. <laughs> 
Oh, my, my buddy's $2 million cabin up north has the best internet you'll ever see, paid for by you and I as taxpayers. Yeah, but they probably has uh, multiple neighbors who live there year-round who are, you know, very excited to, to have that kind of connection. And maybe their kids will be yeah, but, in school now. And but and, I can show you some low – I can show you I can show you thousands of low-income housing developments that would really like to have high-quality internet too. Yeah, that down with you. That won't get it. Uh, yeah. any, any, so um, oh, I just want to check, Lori, do you have any last thoughts? Um, you know, just I would say as a practical matter, if you're a provider and you haven't gotten your uh, email from Quest with an ID to access the fabric or the information, please reach out to them so that you can get started on it. They were supposed to push out notifications to anybody, to the person who submitted the 477 data filing. But if you haven't gotten that notification, reach out and get that so you can get across Quest. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Brian? I just thank you, uh, everybody, for, for the conversation today and discussion. And just yeah, I would just say, count uh, Travis, count me as hope, hopeful. Um, yeah, I, I've personally seen this work in, in the place where I'm sitting on my farm in uh, rural Kentucky, where this money you know, mm -hmm. has gone to a co-op and, and not, not the incumbent. Um, and no doubt you're, you're, you're correct in, in how this will play out in, in some places. But but there is a uh, it's a it's a new day to, to a large degree in terms of how policy is being made and, and who's being listened to. So I'm, I'm hopeful because uh, the rest of us have a voice that we haven't had in the, in the past. And so for providers out there, get engaged. If you're not engaged, stay engaged uh, if, if you are. Excellent. Travis. Oh, sorry to be difficult today. I just uh, I never like having more work to do, especially in the middle of construction season. So um, I, I've already sent a text off to say, submit our data. And then I sent a text to the marketing department, harvest the data where we've got it. We've got a we, we have an amazing opportunity coming down the road, finally, after all these years. So I just want to say sorry to CenturyLink for stealing all their customers next year. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure there won't be that many to steal. <laughs> um, I really appreciate, uh, Lori, you suggesting the show, uh, Brian and Lori, for coming on to to uh, share the information about what's going on and helping us decipher it. Uh, Travis, your, your practical insights to someone who's actually doing it are invaluable. Uh, it's been uh, It's been a good conversation, just like I hoped it would be. Can we go visit one of these success stories? Maybe Brian or Lori could, you know, I'd love to go actually – I'd love to go audit the FCC's program. Let's go see what some of this money did out in the real world. Chris. I mean, come I, on. Let, let. I do feel like we are we're setting ourselves up for a road trip here at some point. So uh, we, we, we have to go. We have, we got to go see all the good work that's happening with all this money. Yeah. It's it's, it's hard. I'd love to see the results. Hard for me to compete with with Lori's Colorado landscape, but uh, we're, we've got a, we've got a nice summer ahead of us in Kentucky. So come on down. I <laughs> love it. We um, oh and uh, Kentucky at least um, Eastern Kentucky where the Red River Gorge is uh, just wow. beautiful oh and, and I mean very few bugs you got all those uh, caves and bats I guess I don't know exactly what causes it but it's lovely um, um, Colorado's awful no one should go there right Lori <laughs> no no stay away stay away, <laughs> uh, stay far away do not move there um, I am going to have a complicated schedule for a little bit longer, and so we are not planning on doing another show in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, we will be on social media with a list of when we will be back. It might be at a non-standard time to try and come back earlier than we could on a Thursday, um, but uh, it's going to be a little bit complicated here as I continue to ignore my family and uh, give Delta 
a lot of uh, business. So, um, Travis, you got something to say? You got you going? No, no, no. Oh, thank okay. you. Okay. It was fun. Very, very, um, very interesting. Very, very interesting. And the name of that it was Crowds. What What was the name of the organization Cost that was spearheaded? Company Cost that's Quest. the fabric. Cost Quest has done the fabric. Fabric. Okay. Perfect. All right. We're on it. And, I'll, I'll report and, back how it goes. And then Brian's from Vetro, and Vetro's just been doing really great mapping, working with – they're not like one of these firms that only works with big ISPs and has ridiculous charges. They, uh, they're they really a lot working with a lot of small ISPs, and um, and they're great guys, um, great folks. And I will, I, will tell, I will tell the small guys, don't make the mistake we made. Start mapping your networks from day one. Don't come back yeah. year six trying to figure out where everything's at. But uh, I, I don't I don't see this as terribly hard for us to, 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 to deal with, and I'm super glad there's going to be a universal address standard. That that is that's a big coup. If that's all we get out of this, that's a huge win. Good. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in. And this has been another episode of Connect This. Mm-hmm.